Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, hello, church. And I always get it wrong, too. It's OurSafeHarbor.com. Uh, our Safe Harbor Church at YouTube, and we only do that to confuse you and add misery to your life. Um, no, actually, that's, those, those are the domains we could grab when we grab them, but uh, thank you. It's so good to have people here from Kirksville, Missouri, have people here from Northern Mississippi. Um, it, that's neat because most of the soundstage people are off in your states somewhere today. It's always good when you come by. I wanted just to read a note from Kirsten who we um, said goodbye to on the staff, but not as part of our safe harbor. She says, dear RC, I'll pronounce it the way she did. Uh, Church family, thank you for the immense outpouring of encouragement, well wishes, and monetary gifts, each and every one of you uh, that I've been honored to meet. And even those I haven't, you all have been such a blessing in my life these past three years. God is at work in each of you. Shine on. So... Kirsten is now much more comfortable during worship, uh, which she was looking forward to with all of her heart, and who can blame her, right? And you can't, because a lot of you are quite comfortable right now. We have, um, we have a hard reset we have to talk about today, and it's just something which uh, historians understand, but for some reason it has not made its way into the church. There is a passage in Isaiah that I'd like to read, and it's actually longer than the passage that I put in the notes. Always remember, the notes are available at our YouTube channel. You can have a look at, uh, in the comments, the very first, I'm sorry, the description box, and you can download the notes from there. I would like for you, because I think it would be very helpful, to read all of Isaiah 59 before you get on social media before you have a discussion with somebody about politics, before sometimes maybe even that you pray. The two verses I was going to focus on were just 14 and 15, but I'd like to bring it back. It's really hard to figure out where to start. So I'm going to just start in the middle of verse 6. Their deeds are evil deeds and acts of violence are in their hands. Their feet rush into sin to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes and acts of violence marks their ways. The way of peace, they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have turned them into crooked roads. No one who walks among them will know peace. So justice is far from us. Righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like People without eyes. At midday, we stumble as though toward midnight. Among the strong, we're like the dead. We growl like bears. We moan mournfully like doves. We look for justice but find none, for deliverance but it is far away. 
For our offenses are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our offenses are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. Rebellion and treachery against the Lord, turning our backs on God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies our hearts have conceived. And these are the two verses I was going to highlight. So justice is driven back. Righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. What a powerful, terrifying passage. But also, what a modern passage. Does it not fit our time as well as it fit his time? So the thing about Isaiah, the more I read Isaiah, the more it sounds like he wrote it yesterday. And that's been true, not just recently, but my entire life. It seems to be a book that fits your situation and shows words for what you're feeling inside. Prisoners, I've noticed, really like the book of Isaiah, and they read it a lot. The world and the church has experienced a few hard resets in the last 2,000 years, but especially in the last 200 years. Darwinism, and then the Scopes Monkey Trial that drove wedges between people based upon how they read the first couple of books of the Bible. And then the rise of Schofield and his uh, dispensationalism. So we all started talking about the millennium and rapture and all of Armageddon and all of that. American fundamentalism rose in its wake. The evangelical movement was another hard reset. The 1960s countercultural movement was also an earthquake that reset our society. Wars in Vietnam, wars in Middle East, COVID, or the Industrial Revolution. All of these were earthquakes of the heart and society and culture breaking things apart. And we all wondered during all of these, what will it look like when it comes back together? These are hard resets that challenge our fundamental understanding of who we are, who our, what our future could be. Think of now we are actually going through another one with the rise of artificial intelligence. And that is absolutely going to wipe out a lot of jobs. It's also going to absolutely divide us more. Because you see, artificial intelligence does not, like a, a computer on TV would do, go into all knowledge and then bring you the truth. It goes into what was put in it and what was available to it and produces that. And garbage in, garbage out is much harder to recognize when you're letting artificial means do your research. And yet it's, it's already there. It's already happening. Let's be very blunt. Institutions that once taught history, science, logic, mathematics, became little more and have become little more than indoctrinalization and socialization clinics. Parents send their kids to university and the parents and their kids then go into crippling debt only so that their kids will come out the other end to rebuke their parents, everything their parents ever taught them, their own society, and everything we once assumed was true. And in fact... 
They will bind together then and actively work to destroy the very systems that allowed them to go to the university, even with force, even with riot. When COVID hit, churches were shut down alongside schools, but more than that was shut down. Our trust in science, our, I don't know if we ever had a trust in politics, but some people certainly do. But science and politics became so entwined that sides were taken, families broken, churches split. Some had to shut their doors. Trust in science, trust in media, trust in society, trust in faith all broke down. And those haven't been put back together again. Like Humpty Dumpty in the old nursery rhyme, I don't think it can come back together. Not the way it was. Not after any of these resets. We find ourselves now, and if you live in the United States of America, which is the bulk of our, 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 our members, but we are in over three, what, three dozen other countries, and we just got a check-in from Egypt this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm sure they're just traveling through, but hey, we, that was fun. Who would have thought that the United States knows itself as the land of the free and the home of the brave would see riots in their streets yesterday thousands and thousands clogged the streets of dearborn michigan we lived nearby there and loved our time in michigan so it breaks our heart as they call for genocide against all jews and celebrate rape murder kidnapping where we see university professors boldly tearing down pictures of kidnapped victims, some of them babies. There was one baby that was taken that has now spent more than half its life as a kidnapped victim. Where is morality? Where is heart? And yet, if we speak boldly, we can be shut down merely by stating facts, facts about biology. But we will be celebrated if we speak of hate, if we only, but only if we speak of hate toward unprotected groups. And in America, that, that would be Jews, Christians, and Asians. But if you speak against the others, then you, you'll be shut down. First, I don't think we should speak against anybody. We can speak against evil, but we don't have a class of people that we should speak against. And yet, left and right, go at each other. To attempt in this environment to, air quote, do church, the way we always have before us, is to pretend that none of this happened and there are no effects to any of this. All of that effort to do church that way is doomed to fail, and in fact, it is failing. We cannot happy clappy our way through a graveyard. We cannot do business as usual. In fact, who is? In where we have our house church is Brentwood. And your house church and our house church were all part of this network, which is full of love and centered on Jesus. And let pray God that it always stays that way. But we are in a very unique place geographically and culturally in that we actually have a functioning mall that still works. Who knew? And yet, as you walk through that one, there are even a few stalls that aren't there and a few stores that aren't there. And as you go into to Main Street, I went into Main Street uh, of one of our areas here, 
recently uh, to, to buy gifts for, for my wife. We don't do presents as such because um, it, it's not like if I want something, I can't afford it, but she can or vice versa because the money's in one pot. So um, it, we don't do that, but we'll buy little trinkets uh, or candies or something for stockings. So that's why I was shopping, which is not something I do a lot of. And as I walked, all the shops, not all, but many of the shops I was expecting to see weren't there. The hard reset of COVID and the rise of the internet and the monstrous things you can buy off of there, monstrous companies. We can't pretend this hasn't happened. We have to deal with this. And yet that said, we still believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We still believe that God the Father is sovereign. We still believe that the Holy Spirit has not retired, but is still at work. We also believe that people still need Jesus, and they need a community of faith. So how do we proceed? Well, I think it might be instructive to look at the first century Christianity, and then we're going to do this all the way up to Easter. We're going to take a look at how the church worked in its world and how it failed and how, what, what went right and what went wrong all the way up to the present day. We're not going to do uh, just history lessons and talk about this church was formed and it's not like that. It's about what do we do with the world we inherited because it is not the same as the world that Jesus did. Jesus was born into one world and radically different the apostles were sent into another one whenever people say we want to be like the first century church i smile i don't say anything because there's no reason to argue with people but the fact is what church are you talking about corinth philippi thessalonia what what are which one and during what time frame are you talking about because the first 100 years, they were not unified in this, in, by conformity. They didn't look the same. They didn't have the same cultures. They would not have understood what you meant by the first century Christians. It wasn't a generic, useful description. We just celebrated Advent. And it's my favorite time of the year, Eric. I wish they'd leave the trees up and the lights up all year round. Because quite frankly, we could all use a little bit of um, cheering up and lights and such. And the electric company, I'm certain, would, would enjoy that as well. My father didn't celebrate Christmas for a lot of reasons that weren't really reason. But he always tried to justify it by saying, oh, think of the electric bills. <laughs> you know, and then he, he would even say, all these lights up, I bet it confuses people and they go through red lights. And I'm going, wow, okay. Um, wasn't allowed to say anything, but I was allowed to think it. Uh, anyway, we just celebrated Advent, so the story is fresh in our minds. Jesus was born, this is what we don't often get, into a community that was ready to receive him. Now, hang on. You might think, well, not, many rejected him. Didn't they kill him? Absolutely. They were willing to receive him as a child. Every child was born into a community, a place an identity from the moment they were born all through their lives. They knew what the social contract was. They knew they had been prepared to be a people 
In fact, later when talking about how Gentiles will come into the faith, we are told they will no, you will no longer tell your children, know the Lord, because they'll already know the Lord. What that means is this, in Jesus' world, the world into which he was born, every child understood all of this, but there came a certain time where they would sit down with him and say, here is why we are a united people. You need to know the Lord. Whereas the people that would come in later would come in because they had met or found the Lord. And that now they come in. So I don't have to, on a Sunday morning, look around at the gathered folk here and there and say, you need to learn who Jesus is because you already knew or you wouldn't be here. I'm aware we have some agnostics and atheists who watch. By the way, thank you for your emails. Every single one that I've received in three years has been respectful. Honest questions. Love honest questions. But respectful. Thank you. The rest of us, we, are, we know the Lord. 2,000 years of, of, by some reckoning, a preparation had formed a safe landing space for Jesus. And I do hate to blow up one of the stories, one of the memes of Christmas, uh, when they say you know, he was no room in the end, he had to be born in a manger and swaddling clothes. I was told those were over old rags. No, swaddling clothes back then, is what they were clothes that you used for babies. And the manger would have been attached to the inn. It would have been part of the house. It's where you put guests that arrived when you didn't have room in your house. And so this, it wasn't like that he was born rejected. No, no, he was welcomed in the heavens, but also in that community. Think about this. For at least a thousand years, and again, by some reckoning, 2,000 years, this community had the same songs, the same stories, the same schools, the same synagogues, which means congregation, the same temple to, to really concentrate it all, the center and focus, the same rituals, the same clothing, the same commerce, the same rules about commerce and marriage, all were wrapped up in the same social contract and accepted by all. When Jesus came, he didn't need to tell people who Abraham was or what the Psalms were or that a lot of them sounded like complaints. No, they knew that. That was their songbook and their devotion book and had been for a very long time. He came to a tree full of very ripe fruit and he said so. In John 4, 35, he said that, you know, lift up your eyes. These fields are white unto harvest. These fields have been prepared. Have you been in an orchard? Uh, maybe one of those pick your own things. And if you get there when it's right, you can just kind of shake a tree and the apples come flying. We used to do that just because there was another kid there. We wanted to get hit with apples. But you also, you know, and again, those kind of apples you generally are making quickly into a pie or applesauce because they're going to bruise. But that's the easiest way to get them. They're ready. It's low-hanging fruit by another metaphor. They had read Isaiah many, many times. They knew Isaiah 53. They wouldn't have called it that because they didn't divide it by chapters. But they knew the suffering service, uh, servant. And when Jesus appeared, many of them recognized him because they had been prepared. In fact, John the Baptist had done a lot of the grunt work right before he showed up. He had developed a whole bunch of house churches along the River Jordan, 
ready to receive Jesus. So if you notice, whenever he turns and he goes, behold the lamb, the people don't go, what? Who? You got any other evidence for that? Well, I don't know. No, they flocked to Jesus. Why? They knew what that meant. They understood the metaphors. They understood the prophecies. They understood the stories. They were ready to receive. And in fact, that's why the authorities killed Jesus, not the Jews. The religious authorities and also the secular authorities who wanted to keep their power at any cost. The common people, the scripture says, heard him gladly. They had been prepared. On Pentecost, we're skipping. On Pentecost, after the ascension of Jesus, when Peter and the rest of the apostles stood and preached, 3,000, it says, were baptized. And then shortly after that, 5,000 more. Wow. By the way, get out of your head. When I was a boy, I wondered about this. How do you speak to 5,000 people, 3,000 people, whatever, without microphones? There would have been some standing and proclaiming. But if you read Acts chapter 2, you can say that sermon in 10 minutes easy if you're a slow reader. The apostles and Peter would have been wandering through the crowd saying these things, answering these questions. It would have been all day long. I've even had people say, you can't baptize 3,000 people in a day. Sure you can. They're baptizing each other. That's quick. Not a problem. And they had a lot of pools around them. The mikvot, the, uh, the baptismal pools, were all already a part of their culture. You see? They had been prepared. In fact, the priest, ever since the, the, the days of the tabernacle, much less the temple, couldn't go in until they had washed themselves in a place called the Sea of Brass. Every time I see that represented in paintings, it's this little sink. And I'm going, I don't think that's a sea. I think we might need to enlarge that mikvah so that you would understand they, had, they immersed themselves before they went to work. Therefore, when Jesus did be baptized, people didn't go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought grace was free. <laughs> they were prepared for it. In the 1970s, by the way, a group of people looked at this and said, you know something? If we're not baptizing that many now every time we do work, then we must be doing something wrong. So they even put out a little book about how evangelism will work in the city. And they they became part of a movement in uh, American uh, religious movement that grew like crazy for a while and then sputtered and grew. It started crossroads and they called themselves Boston. Eventually they called themselves the International Churches of Christ. And they just and then they went down. Because the method didn't work. And that's the way it's always been. In the early 1900s in America, there were several charismatic movements. They said, you know something? This should be normative, this amount of baptisms. We must not be doing something. And they decided what we had missed were miracles and tongues and speaking of, of this sort of thing. And we don't ridicule anybody for believing something that we don't on that. That's, you know, who are we to say? I never argue with anybody's experience. But what I will say is it didn't bear the fruit that it was promised to bear. Why? Because it had already, we'd already seen the low-hanging, prepared fruit fall. That world was highly unique. One of the first sermons here, maybe in the first six months, and you can search this. Just a little tip. If you go to our Safe Harbor Church on YouTube, you will see a bunch of stuff. If you want to search for a particular term, 
some of you have let me know you can't find it. When I find out you're typing in the top box, don't do that. Go to our channel. If you look lower and then off to the right, there's a little magnifying glass in that box. You do up here, it searches all of YouTube. Never safe. Over here, it just searches our page. All right, so there you go. First six months or so, I talked about cargo cults, which still exist in New Guinea, where they will sit and make desks and papers and radios and such. It really, it's just a bunch of woods and vines because they believe if they get it just right, that big ships will come and bring them goods because it happened once during World War II. It's a really fascinating thing. Just look up cargo cults. Very fascinating. A lot of churches are cargo cults. If we get this just right, everything's going to come in. Everything will be great. We'll be baptizing them by the thousands. Our hands will always be wrinkly because we're always in that baptistry. And yet, there is no magic combination of words and phrases or actions. I remember we'd first come back to America just very shortly. And I won't say the name of the individual. I won't say the name of the thing. But he had a particular evangelistic way of doing things. And in our tribe, people were adopting it really quick. And they, uh, they, they were ready. They were ready to do it. And he called and he said, I want to do one of my seminars at your church. And I'm thinking, I said, no, that's all right. We're good. And he was going, and basically, he called me back. Basically, he accused me of not loving people or wanting them to go to heaven because I wouldn't take his method and teach our people his method. And if I were to name him and the method, 98% of you will have never heard of it because it didn't work except at first, the low-hanging fruit. That's what it got. The thing is, Acts chapter 1 is not, and Acts chapter 2, they're not normative. How can I say that? I can say that because you don't see it repeated. Not even in the Bible do you see it repeated. Instead, you have people looking at Paul saying, I think all this has driven you crazy. You know, are you trying to persuade me to be a Christian? What happened? Well, the reason it worked so well is you had a one cohesive, conformed, prepared group. And many thousands received him. Others came later. Some didn't come at all. But then the apostles are sent into all the world. What world? It's not the same Jesus came into. It had fundamentally changed. The world in which they went to did not share culture, did not share rituals, did not agree to the same social contracts. The church did spread, but with serious setbacks and a lot of dead people. We know that from history, but also from scripture. It came to a point where when Paul writes his son in the flesh in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, he says this sentence, which I don't think many people have ever really paid attention to. He said, all of those in Asia have turned against me. Ooh, that's the opposite of Acts 2. All those churches he set up, remember the book of Revelation goes out to those churches? He said, all of them have turned against me. Wow. Isn't that heartbreaking, first of all? He had started them, grown them, written letters to them, and they'd all rejected him. This is not the same world that existed in Bethlehem of Judea 
on the night of Advent. This is a different world. And the churches that did grow and, or at least survive, had something in common. A large percentage of Jewish members. Because enough of them held the stories, the rituals, the concepts in common that they could teach it to the individuals coming in. There weren't great groups coming in. And by the way, if anybody wants to write in and say, no, there's this thing about in Germany, these 5,000 people were baptized. That's because the king told them to be. Because the king converted and therefore all of the citizens had to. That's not the same at all. Within a century, growth came only in localities with strong leaders who embraced Christianity. But all of those were basically in the Roman Empire, where Christians and Jews had lived together through, in fact, according to the Romans, Christians were Jews. Just the same as Pharisees were Jews, Sadducees were Jews, just different opinions. It didn't spread until Jerusalem fell. You want to know something really hard? That was a massive reset. But listen to this. Had Jerusalem not fallen, it is hard to see how Christianity would have taken root. It would have been still a localized church group, a cult, if you will. By the fall of Jerusalem, spreading the Jews out with the story, the church grew that way through tragedy. It, maybe they would have done it anyway, but that question's an open one with a lot of objections. The apostles were able to piggyback on a thousand plus years of preparation, but they still ran into constant setbacks. And should we even use such a weak word as setbacks? When every one of the apostles died a violent death except for John? This wasn't a little town of Bethlehem anymore, was it? This wasn't Baptism by the river with John the Baptist attracting all of them, it said, from the t surrounding towns. Now, this sounds like a long preamble because it is one, but it's a very important one. You see, you and I are now facing the world the apostles were sent into. We have a core group of Christians who believe and still believe, although it is shrinking according to every single poll that I've been able to find. And the rate at which it is shedding members is increasing. I'm not a doomsayer. I know God's got this. But I also know we're supposed to be as wise as serpents, but harmless as doves, and keep our head in this game. Watch this thing. We still have people who believe in God. We still have people who believe in Jesus. And yet the larger society is not prepared for the story. And in fact, is hostile to us. My wife and I, uh, we subscribe to Acorn and BritBox. We're, I'm not advertising. I don't get, I'm not invested in this. Because we watch mainly British and European TV. A, a common theme in all of these, even if you go back and you watch series made in the 70s, is an antagonism toward faith and Christians. In fact, they will call Christians God-botherers. You're just bothering your imaginary friend. And a couple of books published uh, last year in Britain by very famous people basically were just, please, could, I know I'm a Christian, but you can still trust me 
and hire me in your business. And you can still trust me to write in your, your, your magazine or the like. Christians are actively pushed to the side as relics of a past age and unstable. And they will say so on the BBC. They will say so on ITV. And they will say so in the programs. You, what do you do there? When you cannot be trusted in the public eye, in education, in business, or the like, because you happen to believe a story that the world is not prepared to hear. You can, you can work on it. I mean, the very land, that, however, that gave us beautiful um, churches and majestic soaring hymns is now actively anti-Christian. Faith is mocked. And it's already happening here, and you know it. In Hollywood, and the music world, they're not going to embrace you if you embrace Jesus. But if you embrace Jesus, it has to be on a very, very, very surface level. You have people like Jim Caviezel, who, and by the way, I don't know what he's like as a human being, but he portrays Jesus a couple times, and what happens? The offers dry up. They're gone. It's typical. And political leaders from both sides, please, both sides, they claim to embrace faith, and they will celebrate abortion, or they will celebrate anti-abortion, and both hold up Bibles for a photo shoot. There's something deadly wrong here. Here's the, here's the issue. Our people, look out through the windows from your house church. Those people out there have no Christian memory. They are clean slates. Oh, I wish they were clean slates. Their slates are full. They are peer-driven, feeling-driven. In fact, how many times do people say, I feel, when we used to say, I think. Feelings, in fact, I've seen t-shirts that says, my feelings don't care about your facts. And I'm going, physics is physics. Which facts are you ignoring? And we all know what they're ignoring. <coughs> Excuse me. They are increasingly neo-barbarian, celebrating violence against any group they consider the other. The response of churches seems to fall into two camps. Forgive me for painting with such large brushes, but this is a sermon, not a semester course. So one does need to trim some things down. One group accommodates the world and goes along with it, accepting much of what the mob demands. Not to pick on any church, but it's in the news that in the last couple of weeks, the Methodist church has asked its pastors to eliminate the terms husband and wife as being offensive to those who see themselves as other and who do not like terms of ownership. Have you noticed if you watch a lot of HGTV, which I do because I'm married to a designer and that's the law, that it is no longer a master bedroom or a master suite. I'm not allowed to say it. It has to be a main bedroom. That's it. Why? Because the mob demands it. And so a lot of churches go right along, and yet the same church, the Methodist church, tells us that at their rate of shrinking, and they closed some seminaries recently, that they will be extinct by 2050. The other group decides what we need to do 
is make our sermons, our songs, and our plans, and our programs as if today was the first Sunday of 1957. And they ignore the changes, and therefore they have no effective way to engage this secular, postmodern, neo-barbarian world in which we find ourselves. It looks a lot like the world of Isaiah 59. And that should give us courage. I don't wake up in the morning going, oh boy, this is going to be tough. It's a target-rich environment, frankly. If they faced, the apostles faced the world like ours, except with added violence, no Bill of Rights, no uh, Charter of Rights if you're in Canada, no Constitution, whether written or in British territories, unwritten, just the whole body of the law. If they faced that, we can too. And we can build faith communities here if we do it right and we're smart. And we pray with our eyes open and we keep our, our, our heart open, our hands free of weapons. We're not going to hurt people. We're not going to attack them. We are going to serve them. Years ago, I read a book by George Hunter III. Not George Hunter I or II. We don't even know those people. George Hunter III called The Celtic Way of Evangelism. I bought a bunch of copies and gave it to church leaders. I never met one who ever read it after I came back and asked. It's a little book. And then there was another classic bestseller about the same time by Thomas Cahill, How the Irish Saved Civilization. Now, if you're thinking, all right, of course you would like that. No, we'll get into it. But that's a historical fact that we know that when Europe went dark in Ireland, the writing continued. The study continued. The books survived, like the book of Kells, for example. They survived all of this, and therefore, when Europe was ready to turn its lights back on, the Irish were able to provide books that had been completely lost for hundreds of years. We'll get more to that later. But in those two books and in history, there is a roadmap laid out for us if we will just pay attention. We're going to wrap this up today. But we're really just launching. This is like one of those Hot Wheels ramps that your, your kids might have made. You know, this, we're firing it off now. I'm not going to tell you where we're going to land. We're going to work on that. Sometimes mid-flight is the best time to figure out where to land. Let's go back to that first century of faith. Roughly, A.D. 40 to 140. Churches didn't look like they look today. Even those that say, we are a New Testament church. No, you're not. <laughs> They didn't have any of that stuff. They didn't have performance-centered worship. They didn't have massive staffs and huge bands and huge budgets and endless bureaucracy to get anything done. They didn't have complex administrative systems. And they didn't try to duplicate a church that's two blocks down the street. But it has a different name on the sign. <coughs> no. AD 40 to 140 churches centered around people at home or some other setting, but smaller groups who shared, as was read to us today by Carol, who shared their food, who shared their goods. Giving was a way of life, not a date on a calendar. And showing love to others, including those outside of their faith community. It'll be a challenge 
to get where we need to be to understand that the world into which Jesus came was a very different world than the world into which he sent his people, including us. We need to develop this church to be the church that Jesus intended, a church that will long outlive me, outlive you, outlive our grandchildren. Jesus even asked his apostles, he says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? A lot of us look at that and say, well, that was a downer. I look upon it as a challenge. What are you going to do? Are you going to push this story forward? Or are you going to act like we just got to go along with the world or that it's 1957? I'm not picking on that year, but it sounds like it, doesn't it? Nothing ever happened in 1957 that I'm thinking of. How's that? No, 57 Chevy. I just was told that, which many people still worship today. Um, <laughs> evidently. I don't get an amen from this crowd, but I get a 57 Chevy. I just, this is a different kind of church. I just want you to know that. We will spend the next few months laying out a path. Scripture, history, and our own experience have to match. We can do that. And it's a path that you can thrive on. I believe it. I believe whether you have a house church of 30 plus or whether it's you alone on a couch... You can survive, even if you add us on, like many do, and that's fine. It's fine to a brick-and-mortar community. We have many more watching during the week than we do on Sunday morning. We get that. That's all right. But we want to give you a path where this will survive. It won't be instant, and we're not, we don't like that, do we? Often, say my fa- trying to describe my father, who would have been 93 today had he stayed with us, uh, as a man that would stand in front of a microwave going, come on. That was, he was the only, also the only man I've ever met that could make a Jehovah's Witness go, you know, we've really got to be going. We have um, a difficult, a difficult individual. We want it instant. We want it now. It's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. In fact, God even told that to some people. Jeremiah had been ripped out of that community and was now in a refugee community. And God told him, you're going to have this entire job for your entire life and you will have no converts. And Jeremiah said what we would all say. And that is, I think you've got the wrong house. I'm not a prophet. I don't want that job. God says, you're going to take it anyway. And he never had a good day. Jeremiah never had one good day. And yet, without him plowing some ground, maybe not even that, maybe just pulling some rocks out so that somebody else could eventually plow the ground, we wouldn't be where we are. Are we willing to be the generation that does not see the 3,000, but prepares a community that will hear the story become cohesive enough to where they will see the thousands? Are we ready? Churches in Africa have asked me to come over. They've been part of our safe harbor for a long time. Epaphras, hi, I know you're checking in. And I'm planning to go over in June if we can get the money and the things put together. And I ask him, what do you want, what, what do you think this, the, the schedule should be for the two weeks, two and a half weeks? He wrote back and he said, just bring what God brings you. I'm going, first of all, that's, 
takes some of the load off and puts a whole lot more on. But yeah, okay. Just take what God has given you. It won't be spectacular. It won't be an instant. But it has been laid out for us ever since the writing of Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, decrees, and the laws. Your Lord, your God, directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. By keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey that it may go well with you. And that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel. Shema Israel. Adonai Henu Adonai Had. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Then skipping down to verse 12. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For your Lord, your God, who is among you, is a jealous God. And his anger will burn against you and destroy you from the face of the land. Well, there are two different paths laid out. What if we are not a church that you come to and you observe a performance and then you go away having satisfied the requirements of the church? What if we are a church, whether brick or mortar or part of our safe harbor, that does this along the way? As we sit in our homes, as we stand, as we lay down, as we walk on the road, we slowly piece our world back together so it's ready to hear the story. More next week. I hope you're going to be as fascinated by this as I've been in researching it for probably the last 25 years. But I've never done a series on it. I find it amazing that God has done that with us if you don't know this, I looked it up today. We have 575 videos up in just three years. Whoa. So that will live on as long as that function. But it's out there somewhere. Uh, we need to do some more. We're going to do that with your help, and you have been amazing. But I've gone on a long time, and I need to go not longer. <laughs> Because we've noticed that some of you drop off after a while. We have your names. We're coming to... No, no, we don't. We don't. 